When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Bringing you the best story, best trends, and best game from the best conference. Fourth and manageable. An SEC football podcast. Brought to you by 2400 Sports. Now, here's Brad Edwards. Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining me. I'm Brad Edwards, and this is Fourth and Manageable our SEC-only football podcast. It's the end of week four of games in the SEC, and uh, week four was, I guess, a little bit of a strange week in that it pretty much went as we expected it to. Uh, It was a day that you figured, hey, there might be a surprise somewhere, and not really. I mean, the number one team in the nation was pushed harder than we expected, um, but the, the game was never in doubt. Um, the, the two games that we thought would be the best two, the two games ranked versus ranked uh, within the conference, both ended up uh, being decided in the final minutes. And, and so uh, for that reason, I, I think I think at the end of the day, not much really happened, uh, but there were some good games. And, and let's start off by getting into the one that was probably the most dramatic uh, in some ways. You could actually argue that point, but let me let me tell you about both of them if you didn't see, and you can decide for yourself which was the better game. I'm going to start with Texas A&M and Arkansas at Jerry World. And this was a game that uh, Arkansas won last year, and going into this matchup, I liked the Razorbacks just because they just seemed to play really well against A&M. Ever since A&M joined the SEC, even when Arkansas has had bad teams, they've tended to play their best against A&M. They just, they, they get up for the game more than the Aggies seem to. And I don't know why that would be, um, but you certainly got the impression that that was happening again when Arkansas came out and took a quick 14-0 lead. I mean, just like that, 14-0. And you're like, yep, here we go again. And and at the same time, you know, we had just watched Miami, who Texas A&M had kind of struggled to beat the previous weekend, lose by double digits at home to Middle Tennessee. And App State had just lost to James Madison. And you're thinking, you know what? A&M's just not that good. Um but A&M still had something to say about that. And so as bad as it looked, you know, right right out of the gate there, A&M did answer. They came down, made it 14-7. Arkansas gets the ball back, drives down the field, first and goal at the A&M three. It looks like they're about to go back up by 14. And this was the play that completely changed the game and ultimately was the play that decided it. 
K.J. Jefferson, Arkansas quarterback, obviously if you watch them play, you know, he's a big part of their running game. And they called his number, and he kind of charges ahead. And for some reason, on first down, he jumps from about the four-yard line and tries to stretch the ball out as, as if, you know, he wants to break the plane of the goal line. Well, he's hit around the one-yard line. Uh, the ball is hit. It is knocked out. So fumble goes into the hands of Texas A&M's Tyreek Chappelle, who then starts to return it. And he gets wrapped up by an Arkansas player. Looks like he's going to be taken to the ground after a decent return, but but not a really long one. And Damani Richardson comes up, takes the ball out of the hands of Chappelle, runs it the rest of the way for the touchdown. And just like that, it is a completely new ball game. Now, A&M ended up botching the extra point. And so Arkansas took a, a 14-13 lead into the half. And uh, didn't feel like they had the lead, though, because of this huge momentum swing. And then uh, to, to give A&M credit, uh, they, they came out and looked really good on the first drive of the second half. Uh, marched down, scored a touchdown, ended up uh, adding a field goal. So 10 nothing A&M in the third quarter, a quarter which, which they dominated, to go up 23-14. to The fourth quarter, though, was all Arkansas. Arkansas came down, uh, scored a touchdown fairly early in the fourth quarter to, uh, to, to cut the lead to 23-21. And then Arkansas gets the ball back, drives down, and it looked like they were going to end up setting up for a a, a relatively short game-winning field goal, but they had a, a miscue on a snap, ended up losing a lot of yardage in that play, ended up settling for a longer field goal, turned out 42-yarder with about a minute and a half left, went off the top of the right upright, and just like that, ball game. Um and it was a strange game in that it was it was interesting. It was, you know, compelling uh, in, in certain ways because uh, you had the A&M overcoming the early deficit and, you know, they charged back, followed by Arkansas charging back. And, um, you know, there was drama in the end for sure. And, uh, and yet it just kind of felt flat as A&M was able to run out the clock at the very end. Uh, wasn't the way I expected the game to go, the way that it was uh, it was coming down. But uh, you know, end of the day, a big win for Texas A and M. And and after some people left A and M for dead after the the debacle against App State, where the offense was so sluggish, and you looked at their upcoming schedule and you said they could lose the next four games, start one and four, and. Yet, to their credit, A&M found a way to bounce back. They, they got the win against Miami last week, even though the offense didn't look a ton better. And then they made the quarterback switch to, Mac John- to Max Johnson, and that, and that has made a difference because uh, Johnson has been more productive, still not super productive, but more productive. He's made better decisions, taken care of the ball, he made a few questionable throws tonight. There was a few balls that he threw off his back foot into traffic that uh, his receivers ended up coming down with that maybe against a different opponent uh, it doesn't work out that well. But uh, those decisions worked out for him tonight, and uh, he's he's been a big part of what A&M has, has done offensively in kind of bouncing back here these last two games. 
and uh, surprisingly has become a little bit of a part of their running game. I was not expecting them to to use him on design runs. They've called this number a few times, quite a few times. And, uh, and you know, we saw that as a part of their offense. Uh, unfortunately, on one of those plays uh, in the second half, when he was tackled, um, he rolled up on the back of uh, Anaya Smith's leg, and uh, Smith was trying to block for him downfield. And ended up, it was a really bad-looking injury. Smith was on crutches at the very end. I, I don't have a, a report as of this moment, uh, but it looks bad. It looks like if Smith's not out for the rest of the season, it looks like he'll be out for at least a few weeks. And uh, and that's that's bad news for A&M as they have Mississippi State coming up next week and Alabama the week after that, both games on the road. Um, so uh, Anaya Smith being the most dependable receiver A&M has – uh, and it's a passing game that hasn't been all that explosive anyway, that's a loss that is likely to be felt. So a bad uh, personnel loss for A&M, even though they get the win. And, you know, I, I think if you're going to take out, uh, take away something positive from it as an A&M fan, you know, in addition to the fact that they overcame that early deficit and they, they showed a lot of heart and, and you know, fighting back and, and finding a way to win the game, they finally got the running game going. Devon A-Chain went for over 150 yards. He had one really long one, but he had a couple of other nice runs. And so it was the, really the first time this season that we've that we've seen them get the running game going and, and consistently make plays over the course of the game, running the ball. Still, A&M had, I think it was just under 350 yards of total offense. So it wasn't like they ran the ball incredibly well. There's still nothing about the A&M offense that would really excite anyone. Uh, their defense certainly showed some holes in this game, more so really than they had in any of the previous games. And while Arkansas certainly has some players who can make you look bad, they will certainly face better offenses. Uh, in fact, I would say the the next two weeks, they're going to face better offenses in Mississippi State and Alabama. So still plenty of things to be concerned about if you're Texas A&M, but at the end of the day, Another win uh, against a team that people thought had a good chance to beat them coming in, and they're now 3-1 and one on the young season. And so uh, a lot of positives to take there. On the Arkansas side, it's a game that you feel like you should have won, and, and it really came down to two plays. I mentioned the K.J. Jefferson fumble. That I mean, that was a, a – I mean, sometimes you, you hear people say that was a, a – two-touchdown swing, that play literally was a two-touchdown swing. Because if he doesn't fumble, you're looking at second and goal from the one-yard line. It's probably going to end up in an Arkansas touchdown. Instead, it ended up in an A&M touchdown. So that was the game. Uh, And then, of course, the missed field goal at the end, which, I mean, it's 42 yards. You, You can't blame the kicker for costing them the game just for missing that. But those two plays, Arkansas makes either one of those, then they end up winning this game. Jefferson also had a couple of third down plays where he had a receiver open and he just misfired, just missed a guy who was, I mean, wide open, uh, where they could have moved the chains. And so uh, there were definitely some plays Arkansas wishes they had back. They had their opportunities to win it. Next week, they host Alabama. There's nothing about this performance that gives you confidence going into that game that they would be able to pull this off you know, at the end of the day, this was one of those that uh, 
Arkansas had kind of found a way to win last year, but they didn't find a way to win it this year. And will that be a sign of things to come? Are they going to kind of regress to the mean in close games? I don't know. We'll, we'll wait and see. But um, tough loss for Arkansas. Big win for Texas A&M. And if you watched it, uh, it was a pretty entertaining game. And I think, uh, you know, we get, we got our money's worth or at least uh, our time's worth if we if we sat there and watched all four quarters. And, and so I, I think it was a it was a good performance for the SEC and the SEC West and a good win for Texas A&M. All right, now we'll look at the SEC East game of the day, which was in Knoxville, Florida taking on Tennessee. And this is a game that we broke it down a couple different times in the middle of the week on the podcast. And I made the comment on Thursday that in order to have a chance to win this game, Florida had to get a lot more out of Anthony Richardson. Now, I don't I don't think that was necessarily uh, the type of insight you didn't get anywhere else. I mean, it's pretty obvious that they needed him to play more like he did against Utah. And he was going to have to have his best game of the season for them to have a chance to keep up with the Tennessee offense. And I made the comment that in order for Florida to win this game, Richardson had to be the best quarterback on the field, had to be the better of the two between him and Hendon Hooker of Tennessee. And Richardson was awesome. I mean, you, you look at end of the game, he had over 500 yards of total offense. And except for uh, a fumble that, uh, I believe he had an interception as well, but I know he had, he had a costly fumble in the second half when they were driving and, and ended up uh, leading to a score by Tennessee that essentially put the game away. But outside of the turnovers, it it was uh, it was just a really gutsy performance. He had so many plays in that game where he just flashed his ability and just reminded you why people think his upside is so huge. And 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 it wasn't enough. And the reason it wasn't enough is because I don't think that he was absolutely the best player on the field um, or the best quarterback on the field. And and that says a lot for the way that Hendon Hooker played for Tennessee. Now. Hooker didn't have 500 yards of total offense. He had a little bit over 450. So a great game for Hendon Hooker as well. I mean, this game was basically the two quarterbacks, just back and forth, back and forth, making plays. Now, you could argue on the Florida side that they had a few plays in that game that, you know, were like coverage optional. Um, Some of the bigger plays Tennessee had were, I don't know what was going on, but Florida defenders just for whatever reason decided not to cover Tennessee receivers. I mean, talking about guys just going completely unguarded and, um, and those plays ended up being a a really big deal in the game. Just, just complete busted coverages, but that doesn't take away from the way Hendon Hooker played. And the, the key is that Hooker didn't turn the ball over. And I, I think at the end of the day, that was the difference is, is that one quarterback turned the ball over and the other didn't, but it was a great performance by both of them. And when I, when I try to pinpoint where the game swung, I mean, I mentioned, you know, with the, the A&M Arkansas game, that one was pretty obvious. It was the one play that was the 14 point swing in the second quarter. This one, I think the difference falls into like a coaching cliche you, you often hear coaches say that the most important part of the game is the last few minutes of the first half and the first few minutes of the second half. 
And there was an interesting situation late in the first half of this game where Florida had a four-point lead. I believe it was 14 to 10 at that moment. And Tennessee was third and, I want to say 10, it was third and long that Tennessee had. And Florida called timeout with about a minute and a half left in the first half. Now, Tennessee, I believe, was inside of its own 20. I know they were they were deep in their own territory. And they, they were in one of those situations where it looked like they may be content to just go into the half. And they were getting the ball to start the second half and they just, you know, get a first down, run out the clock. Maybe they wanted to score, but they certainly weren't playing with the sense of urgency that you usually see the, the Tennessee offense operate. You know, they, were, they weren't going up tempo at this point. So Florida called a timeout. Tennessee ended up making a really nice throw by Hooker um, to move the chains. I think it was third and 10. They got exactly 10 yards. And at that point, they shift the offense in a full throttle. They end up driving down the field. And with a few seconds left in the first half, they score a touchdown. So instead of getting a field goal to make it 14-13, they actually take the lead into the half with a touchdown. And then they get the ball to start the second half, go right down, score again. And so Tennessee had 14 points within a a span of just a few minutes uh, off of the game clock end of the first half, beginning of the second half. And that was really where the game swung. And Florida, from that point, kept kind of trading scores and they would they would answer to cut it back to a one-score game and then you know Tennessee would score again to make it a two-score game. I mentioned earlier the, the key fumble uh, in the uh, second half uh, by Anthony Richardson, which was with Florida driving down 10. Tennessee took that down and they scored about midway through the fourth quarter to go up 17. And at this point, you think the game is over. Should have been over, but it wasn't. So Florida answers just under five minutes to go. They score a touchdown. They go for two. They don't get it. And it was, at the time, it seemed to be a, a pretty significant play to people who uh, who might have bet on the game because uh, the last time I saw the number, it was 10 and a half. So, so it made a big difference that they went for two and didn't get it instead of kicking the extra point. But they're down 11. Well, they end up getting the ball back and with, you know, well under a minute, around 30 seconds left in the game, um, Florida scores another touchdown. And that cuts the, the lead 38-33. Florida then recovers the onside kick. <laughs> and uh, it, it looked like they were going to have a throw into the end zone in the final play of the game with a chance to win. And let's, let's not forget, um, just a few years ago, Florida beat Tennessee on a Hail Mary at the end of the game. And I guarantee you everyone in, in Neyland Stadium was thinking about that play. Tennessee, fortunately, uh, got a uh, pass rush on, and they were able to hit Richardson as he threw the ball, uh, came up way short of the goal line, and it was not deflected. Um, and so that ended up uh, they ended up being the end of the game. But it was one that looked like it was over and, and ended up coming down to the last play. If I mean, if we're going to be honest, it was, you know – with the last snap, there was still a chance for, for Florida to win the game. And so in a way, I guess it was closer. It was a more dramatic finish than the A&M Arkansas game, even though it felt like it wasn't as good of a game, uh, even though it was a better quarterback performance, uh, obviously. Um, but uh, but yeah, you you make your choice. Which one did you enjoy better? I I, I think I, I enjoyed the, the A&M Arkansas game better, but there's no doubt that uh, Florida made that thing a lot more interesting than it should have been, 
at the end, and it also ended up being a very entertaining game, much uh, much higher scoring. And you know, one of one of my takeaways from this, I mean, one great job by Anthony Richardson because a lot of the buildup to the game was how he had not thrown a touchdown pass yet this season. He had thrown four interceptions over the previous two games. Florida had lost one of them, almost lost the the next one to a bad South Florida team. And and it just kind of looked like after that opening win over Utah that that was maybe an aberration and Florida wasn't that good. Um, but but Richardson played really well. First career road start. And, you know, hats off to him um, for, you know, for putting up the type of performance his team needed to have a chance to win the game. Unfortunately, their defense wasn't good enough in order to get it done. But on the other side, you know, Tennessee... Granted, if you watch the game, yeah, it, it it really didn't feel as close as it ended up being. But the reality is, is as great as Tennessee looks at times this season, uh, and you know, there are times you watch them play and you're like, they could beat Alabama and Knoxville. They might be able to give Georgia a game in Athens. I mean, there there are moments where you think that when you're watching Tennessee. But the reality is, so far they've played two above average teams. I'm not going to say, I mean, maybe good, maybe you give them good, but, but that even may be generous. And I'm talking about Pitt and Florida. I'm, I'm going to say above average teams. And both of them came down to the wire. You know, they, they needed overtime to hold off Pitt. They needed, you know, to defend a, a last second play in order to hold off Florida and so there's there's still something missing there with Tennessee, and I don't know what you would call it, but just the way that they have have played and kind of seeing uh, seeing what their ceiling is, it doesn't feel like either of those games should have come down to the wire. They didn't need to come down to the wire, um, but Tennessee's fourth quarter defense. We'll just say this: I think this is very fair to say Tennessee's fourth quarter defense has been lacking. Uh, in those two games. And and I think that's a concern moving forward. You know, when they do play an Alabama in a few weeks and then Georgia in November, can the defense do a better job of making plays with the game on the line? Because they have they've not really gotten that done uh, against Pitt and Florida, and that's that's why those games ended up being closer than they should be. But, um, but still, I mean, you could see – I said this after the Pitt game – uh, when you saw the reaction by Josh Heupel, um, even though it felt like they they let Pitt hang around and it should have been a comfortable win and it wasn't, they won in overtime, he was really excited. I'm fired up to get that win on the road. Same thing today. Uh, he, his team, the crowd, um, sure, there was a little bit of a sigh of relief, but at the same time, there's a lot of excitement. Now, look, Florida certainly had their number in recent years, no question about that. So it was a big win if for no other reason, just to kind of, you know, get over that hurdle of, of, of losing to Florida all the time. But th- there's, there's something about it where you, you just, you just wonder, like, is this a young team that is gaining confidence and they're having fun? Like, like the skeptical part of you looks at it and it's like, yeah, these games shouldn't be that close, but Tennessee's not acting like these are games that they expected to go out and win comfortably. They're, they're happy to win. And I think that's a good sign. I mean, if you're building for the future, uh, 
and you want to take the right things out of this game, I think the way that they respond to winning these close games shows that they're not playing with pressure on them. There's no pressure to go out and win by two, three scores. It's just about winning, and it's about getting better, um, keeping the zero in the loss column, and they've managed to do that. And so uh, if, if I'm a future Tennessee opponent, I'm worried because they haven't played their best. They're capable of playing better than they have. And at times, they look really, really good. I think the question is, how good can they be if they do that for four quarters? And Alabama and Georgia both hope that they don't see it. Um, so we'll see. I don't know what t- Tennessee's ceiling is. I don't know if this is a 10-2 and two team or, or what they are. Um, but um, for most of the game today, I was really impressed. And look, they racked up um, well over 500 yards of offense without Cedric Tillman, who I think is their best receiver. It's hard to say that they could have been much better offensively, you know, with him in there. But, um, you know, but but <laughs> you have to acknowledge that they did this without him, which is a good sign, too, moving forward. So a uh, big win for Tennessee. I, I thought to whatever extent you could take a moral victory out of it for Florida. That was the case, given that they looked a lot better than they did in the previous two games. So I think it's really something to build on for both teams. Uh, but at the end of the day, Tennessee gets the win, big win for them in the conference. And uh, they are excited uh, to move on at 4-0 and on the season. All right, let's finish this up by just taking a look at, at what happened in the rest of the SEC today. Um, I, I mentioned that uh, there were two conference games, ranked versus ranked, that were expected to be competitive games, and both of them were, and those are the games that we've already talked about. There were two other games that were conference games. One of them was expected to be a blowout, Vanderbilt traveling to Alabama, and it absolutely was. Alabama won 55-3. to No shock there. Um, you know, the Tide uh, certainly certainly had their way with the doors, and, and I don't think there were any key injuries for Alabama. There were a couple players who left the field, but um, as far as the, the players Alabama can't afford to lose, I don't know that uh, there was anything significant that would, uh, would continue through the rest of the season there. So, um, Alabama took care of business. The other conference game was arguably, I mean, Vanderbilt is certainly in that argument, and and maybe South Carolina as well, but arguably the two worst teams in the league, and they played a game befitting of the two worst teams in the league. Auburn and Missouri tied at 14 at the half. They went through the entire second half without a point scored, and it it was almost as if both teams were trying not to win it. And at the end, it really was a case of Missouri just giving the game away, just deciding that they were going to be worse than Auburn. Missouri had a chip shot field goal to win it at the very end, missed it. Then they go to overtime. Auburn misses the field goal to start overtime, but Missouri jumped offside gave them a second chance, and Auburn makes the field goal. And then, the real killer of all of them, Missouri, on the second play of its overtime possession, busts a long run down the left side. It looks like it's going to be a touchdown to end the game, but the Missouri ball carrier, who was not diving, he was just reaching for the pylon with the ball as he was kind of tight roping the sideline, 
lost it. It slipped out of his hand, went into the end zone before he had broken the plane of the goal line. Auburn recovers in the end zone for a touchback. And so what looked a split second earlier, like a game-winning touchdown from Missouri, ended up being a turnover. Auburn survives 17-14 in overtime. It was a tough watch. Um, And all I'll say is it's a conference win for Auburn, and they're Probably won't be too many of those this year. I don't think there'll be too many of them for Missouri either, and uh, this certainly was not one. But um, at least it was a competitive game, and it went down to the end. Uh, Elsewhere in the league, uh, the game that I thought was probably the next most compelling on paper was Tulsa at Ole Miss. And the reason I thought it was compelling, not so much that I thought Tulsa had a, a chance to pull the upset, but entering the game, Ole Miss was tied for second in the nation in scoring defense and allowing just over four points per game. And you're thinking, surely Ole Miss can't be that good defensively. I mean, they're not up there in, in Georgia's league on that side of the ball. And what we found out today is they're not. You know, Tulsa has a, a, a good offense. They had scored more than 35 points in each of their first three games. We're throwing for a ton of yards. And uh, Ole Miss did a good job defending the pass, but they still, they gave up 27 points. They they did a pretty good job after the first quarter. They gave up 14 in the first quarter. After that, they really settled in, played a lot better defensively. Uh, But their offense, Ole Miss's offense did not score. Ole Miss as a team did not score in the second half. It was 35-17 to at the half. Ended up being a 35-27 final. Tulsa actually had the ball. Possession of the ball, um, you know, late in the game, down one possession, one score, eight points, and they weren't able to do anything with it. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't say Ole Miss really got a scare, um, but it was a little too close for comfort. So um, probably a probably a good game for Ole Miss to have before they finally enter conference play. Ole Miss at this point is the only SEC team that has not yet played a conference game. They have Kentucky next Saturday. And I think that's going to be a fun game to watch. Ole Miss um, is a uh, is a team that I think will really test that Kentucky defense, which has been good so far this year. Um, and Ole Miss is running the ball extremely well. And, and so I think um, that's, that's another part of this that's going to make the game fun. But um, yeah, I mean, that was, it would, like I said, not a lot of drama, but it was a, it was a good win for Ole Miss and their defense showed that they're they're solid on that side of the ball, um, but not spectacular. And uh, might as well from there just go to Kentucky. Kentucky was another one. Came away with an eight-point win at home against a team that they were expected to beat by a lot more than that, uh, Northern Illinois. Northern Illinois, which had lost by double digits on its home field to Vanderbilt the previous week. So Kentucky had week one, you may recall, they had a... a a home game against, I think it was Miami of Ohio, where they kind of sleptwalked through the first half, and then they put it on in the second half. But this was another similar game where Kentucky just, they didn't really pull away, and it ended up being a lot closer than it probably should have been. End of the day, Kentucky's 4-0. Um, they'll probably keep that top 10 ranking, uh, but certainly didn't look like a top 10 team with an eight-point win over Northern Illinois. Um, but, uh, hey, Arkansas, I'll tell you, when you're up there in the top 10 and you're undefeated, you just take a win however you can get it. So um, Kentucky was able to do that. 
And then, you know, outside of that, just um, some other games that were expected to be blowouts. You had Mississippi State big over Bowling Green, LSU big over New Mexico, and then uh, South Carolina uh, ended up pulling away and winning by a large number, 56-20 to 20 over Charlotte, which was one game that I thought could possibly be tricky in that uh, South Carolina coming off back-to-back conference games I thought might have a little bit of a letdown here, uh, come out without a lot of energy and get surprised. It was close early, but uh, but you know, good for South Carolina to be able to, to not just survive the game, but to go out there and look pretty good against a lesser opponent, just like you'd expect them to. And that brings us to the game that we probably thought would be the biggest blowout of the day, if not the biggest, certainly one of the top two in the conference, which was Georgia at home against Kent State, which was just a a weird game in that Georgia against the two Power Five teams they've played this year, Oregon and South Carolina, has looked so dominant. And, and yet they kind of slopped around offensively anyway in week two against Samford ended up settling for a lot of field goals instead of touchdowns, but their defense dominated. Today, the offense maybe slopped around a little bit, um, but the defense more so. You know, Georgia had given up one touchdown all season, and that was at the very, very end, total garbage time against South Carolina last week. But Kent State today, they just, they managed to to hang in there. And and it was, it was surprising because every time you thought that Georgia was putting the game away with the next score. Kent State would find a way to answer. And so it was it was 12 to 3 Georgia at the end of the first quarter. Then Kent State scores a touchdown. 12-10. Okay, then it's 19 to 10 Georgia. Then Kent State answers with a field goal, 19-13. Georgia scores 8 seconds left in the first half, goes up 13. They end up adding a field goal early in the third quarter, 29-13. Okay, at this point, game's over, right? Well, Kent State ends up in the fourth quarter actually scoring a touchdown to cut it to 32-22, and they went for two. And actually, the guy was open. It was just the quarterback threw the ball with way too much heat on it and went through the receiver's hands. And um, ended up... uh, you know, it was 32-22, like I said, at that point. But it, it very easily could have been a one-score game in the fourth quarter. Georgia ended up tacking on another one. 39-22 was the final score. But it was um, – those of you who listen to Thursday's podcast may remember me making the comment that um, one of my big questions for the SEC for this season was – would anyone play Georgia within 20 points before the SEC championship game? Well, Kent State did it, and uh, I was certainly not giving Kent State any chance to be the first one to do it. Um, I still am not sure that anyone in the SEC is going to do it prior to the SEC championship game. Maybe Tennessee. That that would be the one that I would give the best shot to do it. I I, I don't come away from this game with any concerns about Georgia. I guess the only thing I would say is that their defense for the first time this year looked like it had lost a ton of talent the year before. Um, And the fact that it took until game four for them to actually look a little bit sloppy on that side of the ball, I think is a a credit to Georgia. Now, if this happens again, then you can start to ask some questions. Okay, might Georgia be vulnerable against a team 
like a Tennessee, or are they necessarily the favorite against a team like Alabama in the SEC championship game, if that's who they end up playing? Um, Those would be fair questions to ask later. I think it's too early to ask that based on what we saw today. Uh, But certainly it was was, uh, one of the bigger surprises of, of the day in the SEC that Georgia got a little bit of a game. Um, from Kent State, because we certainly weren't expecting that to happen. But as I mentioned off the top, end of the day, pretty much every game in the SEC turned out the way that you expected. The ones that weren't supposed to be competitive generally weren't. At least they didn't come down to the wire. The ones that we hoped would be competitive, they certainly were. And so we had some good football to watch, and I think we're all excited that starting next week, we're going to get mostly conference games from this point forward. And so uh, not as many of these, you know, 40-point spreads and and games that just just seem to have no chance of being competitive before they even kick off. Let's do it. SEC football is here as we go into October. This is when it gets real. This is when it gets fun. And we'll be talking about it for the rest of this season on 4th and Manchester. Thanks for joining us. Um, Thanks for downloading. Uh, Please uh, give us a rating if you enjoyed the podcast. And uh, we'll talk to you on Tuesday. This is Brad Edwards. Take care.